Happy National Pet Month, everyone. This is Ricardo, and here's what you'll be wagging your tail to in the Popping Collars feed for May 2022. The Popping Collars crew discuss our favorite filmed adaptations of popular books this month. Check out what movies we think are the pick of the litter. The PC Music Diary is back with a perfect song this month. I'll be talking about Main Street by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. The fur will be flying on an all-new Going On 30 when Greg and Betsy discuss Oliver Stone's conspiracy epic, JFK. On The Sacred Six, Dan Jocelyn Simatowski and Greg are back for another conversation about baseball and sacraments. Hear what these cool cats have to say about the scapegoating of Bill Buckner and our need for reconciliation. Finally, join Liz and me on the PC Book Club, where we recommend some new reads for you and your four-legged pal to curl up with. Thanks for listening to Popping Collars, the only podcast that keeps your and your pet's collars popped. You just never want to host. And now that's recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it in, Greg. Fair enough. No, I mean, I'll hold, I actually like it. I know you do. That's why I'm I'm being sacrificial in um, offering you that (laughs) leadership role. You are, because you know how much it pleases me. Oh, Liz, it really is true. Um, And the other thing is, I, you know, you're just really good at engaging you know, once something is said, you've always got these interesting things to say. And oh, I'm you. afraid that you're going to, if you host, I'll be like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's interesting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I so, don't know about that. Uh, maybe we should just not mess with the formula. Yeah. You know Greg's going to keep this in. I hope so. Okay. We'll peek behind the curtain, behind the scenes of the Pop and Collar Book Club. That's right. What they really say. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of the Popping Collars Book Club, otherwise known as PCBC. (laughs) Is that right, P? Yeah. It is. (laughs) Welcome to PCBC. I am one of your two co-hosts, Ricardo Avila. I am the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in lovely Los Gatos, California. And with me is my awesome co-host, Liz Easton. Tell us how you are, what you're doing. Hey, Ricardo. I am doing great. I am the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. I live here in Omaha, and I don't know when this episode will air, but as we record tomorrow, I'm going on a eight-day road trip through western Nebraska, visiting some of our westernmost parishes for eight days. You love the road trips, don't you? Love it. Love it. If, If I could look back and tell my younger self, I mean like childhood self, like one day, your whole job, well, it's not my whole job, but your job <laughs> will be going on road trips and going to church. How perfect is that? It's just sort of wonderful. So I do love it. Um, it's fun. And we just kind of like office out of the truck and, um, you know, motel lobbies for and church parish halls for a week. And it's great. That is so fun. I do church every day. Yeah. And it's a great way to kind of, you know, be in the communities that you're, that totally. you're 
know, yeah, you have all your favorite coffee shops on main street and all your, you know, the little places you have to check in and it's great. Favorite walking trails. Oh, wow. How often do you road trip in a year? Well, this trip we call the Western residency and this big week long trip, which is sometimes longer than that. Um, we do once a year. And then we have 50 congregations throughout the whole state and the Bishop officially visits each one each year. So there are those trips and then there are additional, you know, search committee, vestry, you know, a lot. (laughs) It's about 40,000 business miles a year. Holy works out. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. Well, enjoy your road trip. Thank you. I bet you've got lots of things to listen to and read. Yep. Yep, I do. Speaking of reading, you know, we we did um, the New York Times top 10 books of the year. We talked about that. Uh, and then I went ahead and read about maybe four of them. And I found myself quite disappointed with two of them in particular. And so then my whole New York Times trust started to erode. Mm. Well, what is that about? Well, so I also subscribed to the Atlantic and they have, you know, daily online things, you know, emails. And so they had an article a few months back that was something like 10 or 12 novels that are worth rereading. And so I checked that out. And from that, I read two different books. I actually listened to them on audiobook and uh, they were both really terrific. Were you rereading them or were you reading them for the first time? I was reading them for the first time. Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the point of the article was that they sort of, they bear up and they're, they're great rereads. You know, some, some book you'll be like, that was great. I never want to read that again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, et cetera. So um, my two picks, and I, I'll say one, so it's a main one, yeah. uh, are from that list. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first of all, I'll say the one that is not my main pick. It's called The Known World, and it's by Edward P. Jones. Have you read it, Liz? I've never read it, and it's totally on my list. I've heard it's just great. Yeah, so it, uh, it, I remember it was a gift from a good friend of mine. And you know you get gifts from friends, and you think, oh, I better read that one soon. Well, this was published in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> I got it in 04. I didn't know it was that old. Yeah, and it's, it was the winner of the Pulitzer Prize of that year, so The Known World by Edward P. Jones, um, just the fastest thumbnail sketch I can give you is that it's about the South in slavery days, and there were actually Black Americans who owned slaves. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the central characters who actually dies early on, you barely know him, but then sort of the land and his plantation become the, the, the focus of the story. He was Black. And um, his parents freed themselves, like paying their way for freedom. And then he got freed. And when he grew up, he owned slaves. And his parents were like, that was anathema to them. So um, his story, his wife's story, the people on the plantation, the slaves, and all the things they do, uh, it's really riveting. Now, I read some reviews from people, you know, online, like regular folks, not critics, and they complained that it was a little too complicated. Like there were too many different characters to keep track of. I listened to it on audiobook and I had no problem whatsoever. And that might've been the narration because the, the, the narrator was really good and the voices were vivid, but I thought the characters were really well delineated. And um, there was a little difficulty, but 
everybody kind of got something for you to hold on to. I loved it. I, in fact, it, this book became due as an audiobook at the library. And then I couldn't get back, back to it for like two months. Oh no. And then I got back to it and I fell right back in, but now I have this weird unease and now I think I've got to read it as a book and do the reread. Actually, Yeah. You can reread it now. Yeah. <laughs> it was that good. I really, I do recommend The Known World by Edward P. Jones, but it is not my top pick. It won the Pulitzer Prize uh, and it came out in 2003. And I would say it's, it can be pretty intense in parts. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that I hate in movies or books or anything uh, is when the good people die and the bad people live. And that's happened a couple of times. And it just, it makes, it's weird. It makes my heart like hurt. Yeah. Chest pains, you know, when, when it happens. And in this book, I won't give anything else away, but when it happens, it's so almost arbitrary. Mm. It just, oh, you know, so it took me a few days to kind of get that out of my system. So, um, but it's, it's so beautifully written. It is, it's, it's, you know, you need to kind of focus, but it's a terrific book. So that's one, that's a sign of a good book that you have that level of emotional response. Like that you feel that engaged with the story and the characters, especially that it sort of hangs with you for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's how the world works. You know? Yeah. Good, good does not always triumph. And the good do sometimes die young and violently. So anyway, uh, so that's my half pick. Okay. So should I give my half pick now? Yes. Okay. So, um, and thank you for that. I definitely have not read that book and it's on my list and I want to read it. So my half pick is a half pick because I'm literally halfway through it. My hope was to finish it before going on this road trip tomorrow because I'm constantly reading the Outlander series, which is a good series to travel with because they're these gigantic mass market paperbacks, but I put them down to pick other things up. So I was hoping to bring an Outlander with me, but I might be bringing this little guy. Um, so this is a novel called Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey, Once There Were Wolves. Mm. And it's a pretty short little book and it's published by, um, it was a book of the month club selection, which is how I learned about it. And it's published by Flatiron Books, which I think is a independent press, but a fairly large independent press. So it's won some independent um, awards recently. Nice. But the premise of the book is it's about a woman who arrives in Scotland, she's a naturalist, to reintroduce wolves into the Scottish Highlands. And that is her job. And she has done that in other places and other people have done it in other, like famously in Yellowstone National Park, they reintroduce wolves. And this is a novel though. And um, when you do that, the um, environment goes through a process that they call rewilding which I love. I've never heard that word before, rewilding. So just the introduction of a major predator like a wolf changes the migratory patterns of deer, which then allows different flora and fauna to flourish and can even change the course of like rivers by reintroducing these creatures. And um, obviously, or maybe not so obviously when that happens, especially in agricultural communities, um, there's a ton of controversy because wolves are predators and they can kill 
um, livestock. And even though there are laws that allow farmers and ranchers to kill wolves who kill their livestock, but it's still really scary and people don't like it. So this is the story of that project in Scotland. And there's a little bit of a mystery involved, which I won't give any away about that. And a really compelling backstory about this woman and how she became interested in this type of work. She has a a condition, I think it's called like mirror synesthesia, but it's like a incredible type of empathy where you feel like if you saw someone get punched in the face, you would feel the impact on your face or, Mm -hmm. you know, any sort of physical sensation you're so empathetic to it that you experience it yourself. So that is her experience of the world, which causes her to be fairly isolated. But she also has this deep emotional engagement with the wolves as well. It's it's just beautiful. And it's kind of spare. It's written in this kind of spare way, but the language is very pretty. It's a little dark. Um, I'm just loving it. So I'm halfway through. And you know, when you're reading a book and you're thinking like, oh, I need to give this to so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Like I have a friend who is really interested in climate care and I can just think like, oh, she would, this is such an interesting perspective on all of that. Um, it's so grounded in the earth and um, the environment. It's really beautiful. So I recommend it once there were wolves. Wow. You know, Liz, I've been detecting a pattern in what you are recommending, uh, and I don't, I could be wrong, but you've got these wilderness things going on. Yeah, I guess recently, and I'll touch on that in the next book a little bit too. Um, I do like books about that. And um, the book that I referenced, maybe the last time or the time before was Legends of the North Cascades, which is set in the Pacific Northwest, which is where I grew up. So I do like the forests and the mountains and like all of that. But obviously I love the plains as well. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. What's your full pick? My full pick. My full pick. (laughs) Also from that list from the Atlantic books that are worth rereading. And it's called the orphan master's son by Adam Johnson. Now this book came out in 2012. I've never heard of it. You've never heard of it. Mm -mm. Unbeknownst to me, uh, it won the Pulitzer Prize in 2013 for the best uh, novel or fiction of 2012. But I, I listened to this as well on audiobook. And uh, uh, so two things it has in common with the known world. One, it's a Pulitzer Prize winner. But the other one is it's kind of intense in parts. And this one even more so uh, to the point that I had to stop listening to it sometimes. Now, I, I have a low threshold for violence in, in any sort of artwork. Uh, unlike someone I know who read the Hannibal Lecter series, probably while eating pork chops at dinner. Uh, that was a bit of a mistake, though, honestly. Was it? Yeah. Okay. So the Orphan Master's Son, basically, it's about a kid who grows up in an orphanage in North Korea um, with the Orphan Master, who is presumably his father. His mother disappears. And it follows him through different sort of sections of his life. Um, so he's an orphan, and then that stops happening. <laughs> I can't even remember why. Because orphans are thought of as so little in the society in North Korea, they're the kids who are taken down into the mines to dig for you know the, the, the stuff that they want for, for nuclear weapons and other things, and they die in collapses and nobody cares, right? So he survives that. 
And one skill he learns is how to maneuver in pitch darkness and be able to kind of know things. Then he gets recruited. And this is where it gets pretty awful. He gets recruited uh, to be on a team that kidnaps people. They go to Japan or South Korea on little ships and they find people who are alone, unsuspecting, and they kidnap them. Now, this really has happened. According to something I read, uh, as many as 200,000 people have been kidnapped since 1950 by North Korea, mostly from Japan and South Korea. And some of the some of the kidnappings they depict in the in the novel are really scary. You know, they're just like, oh, and this kid, you know, he's the person you're supposed to be, uh, you know, the protagonist. Right. And he's sort of creeping out about it, but he's already seen so much awfulness. I mean, North Korea, you know, I read this book and all the time I was listening to it on audiobook, we do morning prayer every day at the church online. I started praying for North Korea because it's so dismal. It's so, it's like totalitarian regime, starvation, madman at the helm, all put together. So it's, it's dark. Uh, and I don't mean dark, it's, it's just, it's violent and it's harsh because you know, it's true. He becomes the kidnapper, but then that changes. And then he's on a ship. And this is sort of the nicest part of the book in a way, because it becomes a family with all the other shipmates and they tattoo him and, you know, they learn to look out for each other. But uh, long story short, they find out because he listens to radio signals and from other, he learns English. He gets rewarded for something, learns English because that's a reward, right? Then you can have better jobs. He intercepts signals. And what they all find out is everything they've been told about life outside of North Korea is a lie. Everyone's got it great, except for them. And they keep saying, you know, this book is also about propaganda. We're the greatest country in the world. And this is the most beautiful palace. And Pyongyang is the, is the, is the greatest city on earth. And this is just spewed daily. They have loudspeakers that have, you know, announcements all day long. It's just, it's horrifying. And so um, that episode ends badly. He winds up in a place where he's just left to die, but he escapes. He it's just and then the second half of the book, that's just the first half. The second half, he takes on the identity of someone and it becomes this whole other story. That's like a love story. And Kim Jong Il himself becomes a character. And I have to say, as much as it's horrifying who he is, the funniest parts of the book are when he's on because he's like this cunning clown. That's how he's uh, portrayed. And it's just hilarious how sort of infantile yet inadvertently hilarious he's portrayed. Now, I don't know if that's really what he's like, but um, they call him dear leader. So, well, I won't go, I won't give it away, but it's so fascinating. And you learn a lot about North Korea. You learn a lot about all the propaganda and the brainwashing and the misery and the famine and the hunger and the torture. I mean, it, it sounds horrifying when I describe it and it kind of is, but it's so riveting. The, 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 the narrative is just riveting. You want to know what happens. It basically follows one man's story but it tells you all about North Korea and how awful it is and yet how love and relationships still survive in that. So um, if you've got a stomach for such things, um, I highly recommend it. I think it's, it's, it's a masterpiece. Wow. I will, say, I will go as far as to say that, uh, but it, it was, it was a little hard to get through, um, have some, uh, what's, what passes for frothy fun these days, have something on the side to listen to. Outlander. Uh, 
get your latest <laughs> Outlander book and take yep. a break when you need to. But wow. You know. So uh, The Orphan Master's Son by Adam Johnson, I think, is probably one of the best books I've read in a long time. I can't believe I've never read that this, or never heard of it even. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Recommendation. Yeah. I, I remember hearing about it and thinking, uh, uh-uh, uh, no way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's too, it's too intense. Low threshold. So, yeah. so that's my pick. What about you? Liz? Okay. Well, my pick does not, will not offend your threshold. But an outlander. It's not an out. You could recommend outlander to anybody if you like time travel in the Scottish Highlands, but, and a little, a little bit of steaminess, but, um, the Outlander books are not as steamy as the Outlander television show. I feel like I have to say that to people. Yeah. It's sure. a little, to be honest, a little disappointing, but also, <laughs> <laughs> and you can keep that in Greg, um, but, but the books are really fun, but that's not what I'm recommending. I am recommending a book called a small world by Jonathan Evison. And if you all remember, I recommended Legends of the North Cascades by Jonathan Evison, which was one of my favorite books of last year. And that book, Legends of the North Cascades, was a real surprise. I don't know how I came across it. It was a really short book. I just loved it. And then I read the review of this book, A Small World in the Times, when it came out, immediately got myself on the waiting list, not realizing that it was the same author. So when I picked it up at the library, I was like, you're kidding me. I know this guy. I'm so excited to discover another one of his books. This book is uh, much longer. It's still within the 400 page realm, which that's my huge probably, but this is maybe like 460 or something. But here's the premise and I'm not giving anything away because this will be on the dust jacket. It's like the premise of the book is that you're on an Amtrak train on the West Coast. And it is the train conductor's last last ride. He is retiring after um, piloting this um, Coast Starlight Express up the uh, Pacific Coast. And he gets into a train accident. And then the rest of the book sort of unfolds telling the story of that accident. And the book is structured around the stories of different people and families who find themselves to be on that train that day, including the conductor, and then also the stories of their ancestors. So really what it ends up creating is a story about the Transcontinental Railroad, which is super interesting. So you hear the perspective of um, an Irish immigrant family of a um, Chinese immigrant family, um, an indigenous person, and um, an enslaved person who escaped. And there's all of these interconnections. And I was afraid that it would be too many people and too many stories to keep straight, but that is not the case. He does a beautiful job of making it really easy to follow. And what ends up happening is like, all these people are on the train that has the accident there are places in their ancestors' backgrounds where their ancestors crossed paths, not in super meaningful ways, like they were best friends or loved each other or something, but really just like cross paths. Like one of them bought groceries at the grocery stall that the other guy owned or um, whatever it is. So it's this great story about America. 
I was concerned that it would be a little tokenistic to be like, we're going to tell an Asian story, a black story, an indigenous story, whatever. But at the same time, you can't tell the story of America and you can't tell the story of the transcontinental railroad without weaving together those narratives. And um, the characters are very compelling. They're all, there's like, you know, occasionally a bad guy, like a barren type of, you know, tycoon who comes into the picture. But for the most part, all of the characters are sympathetic. You are rooting for them, which is my favorite type of book. I'm too, um, too naive. I, just, I need, I need to love a character. I don't like to be disappointed by that. <laughs> Yeah. It's why I can't read Jonathan Franzen. I think I've said this before. Like Jonathan Franzen is such a wonderful writer. The plots of his novels are terrific, but his characters are despicable and mm-hmm. I can't stand them. I can't spend 800 pages with his characters. Anyway, um, this is a great, just like kind of journey through American history or a particular part of American history. And I like it. Um, as I said, I feel like you could recommend it to anybody. It's just, uh, it's great. Wow. Did you say it was, I, it was overdue it for whatever reason, it's not a hard book to read, but I had some other stuff going on and I was listening to some audiobooks. I was like two weeks overdue at the library Hmm. and I thought our library stopped fining people for overdue (laughs) books. Apparently not. Apparently not, <laughs> at least not with all of the books. Maybe if it has a waiting list or something, but anyway, I'll be making a nice donation to the Omaha Public Library soon. Oh, it's a worthy cause. I think so, yeah. Wow, say the name of the book again. A Small World. A Small World by Jonathan Evison. Evison, yeah. And I tagged him in Instagram, so um, I post the books that I read, the physical books that I read on Instagram, just as like, because it's fun for me. And I tagged him and he commented with a heart emoji. Wow, it was so cool. That's great. You know, I want to say that book sounds awesome. I, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it reminded me immediately of something I read way back in high school, The Bridge Over San Luis Rey by Thornton Wilder. I don't know. Oh. I never read that. I'm going to... Um, uh, Yeah, Thornton Wilder wrote it. Good job. So the bridge over San Luis Rey, there's an accident and a bridge falls somewhere in South America. This just takes place in the 50s. And then you hear the stories of all the people who were on the bridge that died, including like a nun. That's the only one I remember. Um, And how they're all in this one place just serendipitously. But your book, The Small World, I, I love that idea of ancestors being brought in and how those cross those paths cross because to me that makes it reverberate and echo that relationships are never as simple or as like um gosh boundaried as you think they are yeah and i'm imagining when he's describing the different ancestors kind of crossing paths you hear it from say the grocer's perspective and then a man walked in who was Chinese who'd been working on the railroad. And then later you hear it from the Asian guy's perspective. Oh, I went into this grocery store and the guy had a funny mustache. And that's like the detail. Is right, that- there are like clues that you get. And one of the things that it did was uh, it, it really made me realize a lot, several times throughout the book, pausing to think like, this is not improbable. It's not improbable that our ancestors ran across, especially once the railroad was built. 
and travel was different. Like we really are connected and he's able to make that point without being preachy about it at all. And if, so it felt very, it was very emotional, like this and spiritual in a sense of this realization of our connectedness and our stories and our struggles and just what it took to come here. And every single, uh, every one of the ancestors stories is a person, except for the enslaved person, I think, who was later on in like, I don't think that he was cap like stolen from Africa. Like, I think he was raised in sure. slavery, but otherwise every person's story was a person who came to America to, oh. for this like sort of American dream, which is really questioned and kind of interrogated throughout the book without being villainized. Like it just felt honest in, in that reflection. Nice. Nice. You know, there's a, um, I think it's called Homegoing by Yaa Gyasi mm-hmm. that takes place in partly in Ghana and partly in the U.S. And it has that a similar theme. It, it'll do, there's this, there's this family in Africa and they split off and one gets sold to slavery and one stays in Ghana. And you, they go back and forth and how one branch grows up in the South in slavery and the other in Ghana and actually becomes uh collaborators they become collaborators with the slave traders and wow um and such but you hear you see echoes of people it's it's like this i think it's a it's a it's a it's a thing it's a great thing yeah uh, that can happen in in fiction these days maybe people have kind of figured it out also that book that just won an award by it's the big orange book by honore something jeffries um, oh, the um, love songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. Yes. Yeah. Well done. Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, I think that's got some ancestral thing going. For sure, it has the ancestral thing going on. Uh, I don't know if there's um, a lot of reverberation and echoey stuff, but um, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love books. Don't you love books? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I. I mean, it feels like, uh, what's the word when it's, uh, as one thing gets bigger, one thing gets smaller. It's that mathematical ratio. Oh God, <laughs> I'm getting old. But um, as the world becomes bleaker, my love of fiction grows. Yeah, yeah. Which sounds like escape. But given that, like, one of the books I'm recommending is about North Korea, one is about slavery. Yeah. Yours takes place in Scotland and in the on the West Coast and is historical about backgrounds and things. Yep. I mean, we're engaging in the world even as we're sort of taking a break from it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I love about these books. And it sounds like the ones that you described too, is like there is an, a true emotional engagement. Like when you really give yourself over to fiction, um, and this it happens with nonfiction too, but I don't think in the same way. Like there is a true emotional engagement with those stories. And then also all of the simultaneous reflection that you're doing almost off to the side in your own mind about like application to your own life and reflecting about your own story and um, your own personality and stuff. Like there's a lot that goes on with reading. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, and you don't even consciously necessarily do that, but it seeps into your, to your life. And that's, that's the mark of good, of good literature. Yes, absolutely. So, wow. Internet, an international episode, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) 
<laughs> I want, oh, I want to say something really quick. So I like TikTok. It's one of the reasons that I don't read as much as I want to because I watch TikTok. But there's a great, like, uh, you know, with TikTok, they reuse sounds over and over again, like mm-hmm. scripts, sort of narratives. But one of them is a person sitting down with a book and saying, like, now I'm going to sit down and stare at marks on a piece of paper and have an hours long vivid hallucination. And, and that's exactly what it is, right? Like, it's amazing that our minds can do that. Yeah, that is amazing. Uh, I wish I had more time to read actual books, but most of my stuff is audiobook, which is great, but it is different. Yeah, it is. For mm-hmm. me, like we've said this before, I can't, um, for me, an audiobook has to be plot driven. It has to be super plotty. Otherwise, I can't get into it. Right, right. I do nonfiction better, oddly enough, I think, mm-hmm. in audiobooks um, when it's a good story. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I think we're, we're ready to wrap it up. Yeah. Do, do we have to do the whole outro thing? Of like, mm, it probably wouldn't hurt. <sighs> do you want me to do it? Yes, Liz. Okay. Take us out, Liz. All right, thanks for listening to another episode of the PCBC, Pop and Colors Book Club. I'm Liz, that's Ricardo. Thanks for joining us. Um, you can find out more about Pop and Collars Podcast on our website, popandcollarspodcast.com. You can also find us on the Episcopal Cafe. We love the Episcopal Cafe, and so will you. There's a lot going on in the Pop and Collars universe, more even than I know. I know that Ricardo just did an excellent reflection on a song. I haven't listened to it yet, but my dad has, and he loved it. Oh, I love your dad. I know. He's so sweet. And so I'm probably going to listen to it on the road this week. And there's just lots going on on Pop and Collars uh, in our, what would the word be? Our um, network? Universe. Yeah, it's our universe. The Marvel Universe. It's the Pop and Collars Universe. <laughs> Pop and Collars Universe. And we're so happy that you're listening. Um, if you want to send us a book recommendation, you can email podcast at gmail.com. I don't know. Yes. Cool. Just find me at St. Luke's Los Gatos. Yeah, find me at the Diocese of Nebraska. You can find me on Instagram at Liz East, which is where I do most of my book content. So with that, thanks again. Happy reading and keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. (laughs) Bravo. Oh, that was interesting. That was you. That was good time. 